Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in British policing for quite a few years now. This podcast is all about what it was really like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. In the podcast, I'll talk about all the different jobs that I did, and I'll interview people who also did some really interesting things. I'll give you my thoughts about what's been going on recently in the news to help you understand how it all works. Spoiler alert, it's not like it is on the telly. This podcast is the real deal. I'm going to be discussing some quite disturbing things from time to time, so listener caution is advised. There may also be a bit of swearing, so best to keep the kids out of the room. Everything I say and have written comes out of a place of great love for British policing. You may not agree with it all, and that's okay. But all I ask is that you listen with an open mind, and if you go away feeling that you know a bit more about what policing is really all about, and perhaps have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Hello folks, this week I'm going to be chatting to Ian Johnson. I'm really looking forward to chatting to Ian because he's one of those people who, when I was... um, You know, during a big part of my service, Ian was always kind of there or thereabouts, having had a very high profile role in British policing uh, for for many years. He was the chair of the National Police Superintendents Association for England and Wales. He was frequently wheeled out by um, media, uh, quoted in a broad range of publications, etc., and very, very highly respected uh, within policing. Um, and then he went on to become a police and crime commissioner uh, in the very first round of police and crime commissioners back in 2012. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to having a chat with him about his career, um, some of his thoughts around what, what went wrong, you know, the changes that uh, came in after 2010, because he was able to, he had quite a sort of unique, um, you know, view of all of that, given that he had been quite senior in policing up until 2010 and then he left the police service and became a police and crime commissioner and and was still sort of sat at the top table I suppose you know dealing with government the home office uh, Theresa May and all of those sort of people so so yeah so let's get straight into it Excellent. how are you i'm very well how are you are all you going right. to are you going to switch your camera on or are you going to be shy Yay! There you go. <laughs> we got there. Thanks, Ian. Hey, I've, oh only, had this la- I've only had this laptop about, uh, oh, I don't know, six months. And I, I think I've done about five Zoom meetings, and that's oh, it. Oh, good man. Excellent. Anyway, we got there in the end. So, to be honest, to How's be that? fair, yeah, no, it's great. It's perfect. Um, yeah, to be fair, um, there's lots of different people are used to using lots of different platforms, aren't they? And Teams and Zoom and Google Hangouts and God knows what, Skype and God knows what else. So, uh, so yeah, so how are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, pretty good. I've had a funny old run in the last couple of months, but I'm, I'm all right. I've had this bloody long COVID. Have you? Oh, and, shit. And, oh, people say, oh, it's only a cold. It's really, really debilitating. It really knocked you around, did it? Yeah, and then I just just to uh, just to show that I never listened to the wife. <sighs> I had a, I woke up one morning with a very very tough cramped calf. 
Yeah. And I just ignored it for a week. Yeah. And then next thing is I'm done done hospital. Oh no. No, but no, no I I had a blood clot. Oh no. Yeah. Oh bloody hell. But so you, I'm on the you're I'm on, on, you're on the I'm men on the tablets now. now. Oh yeah. 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 I'm fine. Oh bloody hell. So I'm fine. Um I suppose uh First of all, really welcome to the TJF podcast, Ian. And uh, I've always been, I've always been a bit of a, a sign as if I'm blowing smoke up your ass, don't I? But I've always been a fan. You know, I think I've always had a lot of respect for you personally and professionally. And it's really great to have you on the, the podcast, really. So um, I looked at your CV that you sent me through. I mean, my God, you've done a few things, haven't you? Um, you've got policing running through your DNA like Blackpool Rock, haven't you? Yeah, well, it, I'm I'm the big seven zero this year. Oh bloody hell! I know. And when you think that that if you count the time when I was a cadet from 1969 uh, till through to 2010, yeah, I, I served in police. You know, a couple of years as cadet and then as a PC from 1971. Bloody hell! 1971. So do you know how old I was in 1971? Yeah, uh, I was six. Good grief. <laughs> and I'm 56 now. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, it, uh, it, 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 it goes so quickly, though. I know. What I, I, know. What I found. And uh, you have some highlights in your career. You have, you have certain things happen to you that you, you, you've just got no impact on, and they're, they're meant to be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I was very fortunate as well. So did you join Gwent, did you? I joined Gwent. Yes, 1971. So for those who are listening who don't know idea where Gwent is, Gwent is like the bottom bottom right-hand corner of Wales, isn't it? Just where it joins on to England by the Severn Estuary, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. We've, we've got a, a very mixed uh, county or police area in that you, you've got uh, some of the more picturesque bits like Usk and Monmouth and Chepstow. Uh, and then you come over and then it's the start of the valleys in, in places like Pontypool and Blackwood. And of course, uh, Newport City, which yeah. has been, city. Which coincidentally, <laughs> has, has been a city 20 years today. Has it indeed? Newport yeah. City. They're making everywhere a city though these days, aren't they, to be yeah. fair? Yeah, <laughs> I should regard it as a town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but so, you um, so you joined in 71, bloody hell, so 71. What was it like in the police in 1971? I mean, it must be like, it must be about as different from today's policing as you could possibly get, isn't it? Well, it, it, it's unbelievable, you know, and, and I don't want to sound like a grumpy old so-and-so on, on the podcast today, but some of the things you don't see today that, that were there in 1971 are some of the better things. For instance, uh, officer's standard of dress, Mm. Headwear, yeah, you know, not having any caps. Some of them, the uniform they wear now, um, well, you you just wouldn't have been allowed to do it years ago because it yeah. looks as though an iron's never been out on the uniform. <laughs> and so you've got to look twice sometimes to see if they they police officers or whether they're council workers. I know. Well, I I say that in my book. Um, I don't know if you've, I'll send you a copy of my book after the okay. after this because um, I think you'd enjoy it. Um, yeah, I say that in my book, uh, you know, where I, I slightly despair at the standard of dress these days. And, you know, and I, th- I mean, I joined, I mean, God, I was probably, I, uh, you would have had about, let me think, you would have had uh, nearly 20 years service by the time I joined. So I joined in 1989. 
but in those even in those days um you know police officers were really quite something to to look at you know they were generally mm. very smart they had a they had a, a certain bearing didn't they um, yeah. partic- particularly wearing the custodian helmet and shiny silver buttons and the police whistle chain and all of that and sort of it it demanded uh, some respect didn't it really absolutely and and um in 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 not way anyway be being sexist or biased but I, I really think we took a backward step when we altered the the uh, height requirement to come into the police. I, I really do. And you've, and, you've uh, read my you've read my book, Ian, haven't you? Because no, because <laughs> I said that as well. <laughs> well, we, well, I haven't read your book yet, but <laughs> some people are not going to be keen on me saying that. Uh, but I really do think it's true, and and there are occasions where where, where uniform cops attend. You need to know that that they're they're capable of handling themselves. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, there are certain short officers on the shorter side, put it that way, who can definitely still handle themselves. Mm. And it's like that thing, isn't it? It's not the size of the dog in the yeah. fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog, isn't it? And certainly, I can think of some fairly short but stocky and blokes who I used to work with. Oh, women for that matter, you know, yeah. you probably would have knocked seven bells of shit out of you. Yeah. Um, so if not that we went around knocking seven bells of shit out of people, but you put it this way, you wouldn't have wanted to get in a punch up with them. So there, yeah. were, so there were shorter people who could look after themselves. But but I think the point is that you now have a very strange motley collection of officers out there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we have indeed. And, and OK, and some of it is for the better, mm. uh, you know, in terms of being a more inclusive uh, police mm. service, but mm. I, I really do think when we go back to the the, the standards, the standards of dress, the bearing, that 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 what, that was a sad day. Yeah. So in terms of your career, um, looking at looking at your CV, you kindly sent me. Um, you spent most of your time as an investigator. Is that right? Yes, indeed, I did. I I, I was lucky enough after a uh, couple of years or three years to go on to the CID, and and I loved it. And and that's where I spent most of my career thereafter. Right. Okay. And uh, so you went up through the ranks, obviously, because you finished off as a chief superintendent. Is that right? Yes, yeah, chief superintendent. Idea, and then we had, uh, should we say, a, a little bit of an altercation in the force involving uh, our chief officers. And I I left the CID and went to out as a divisional commander. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Um, Obviously, uh, things have changed massively, and uh, you know, my the point, the whole point of you know my book, I suppose, was to sort of paint the picture around how policing changed over the last thirty years. Um, and what really, the reason I wanted to speak to you in was that you've got a really interesting um, sort of you've seen policing from multiple different perspectives uh, over a very long period of time. So obviously, in your own career as a as a experienced police officer in Wales, and then you became the uh, national chair of the Police Superintendents Association, um, and then you became a PCC uh, in the early days when PCCs kind of just first arrived. So, so really, really interesting kind of um, diverse um, experiences, I suppose. So, just staying with your policing bit before we move into the superintendent association or some of the national issues affecting policing um 
you retired, is it 2010, is that right? 2010, yeah. And people must, might be wondering, why, why did he do 39 years? <laughs> uh, in, in, in 2004, uh, I was asked to put my name forward, having completed 33 years service, mm -hmm. um, to stand as a vice president with the Superintendent Association to help out for 12 months. Right. Because they, they didn't have anyone suitable at the time, in their view, and, and could I help out for 12 months? And the 12 months went quickly, and there was nobody else appeared. Mm. So I became the vice president for three years, up mm -hmm. to 2007. And then in 2007, uh, I was persuaded to put my name forward for the president's position, which I took up and, and, and finished then in um, April 2010. So that's a really interesting, to, if you think of the timing of that then. So that was just around the time when there was a change of government, wasn't there, from uh, the Blair, sort of New Labour, over to David Cameron and the, the Wicked Witch um, of the West, um, <laughs> who then became our Home Secretary. Um, what were your thoughts on the Blair on the Blair years for policing? I'm a, I'm a, I know what I think, but it'd be interesting to see what you think. Uh, what 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 was good? What was bad around those sort of years under Tony Blair? I think it, it was a little bit indifferent, actually, which for the police service was good. They they were supportive, but not with a capital S. But at the same time. They weren't the opposition, as we were likely to find, as we, we were to find, rather, uh, post-2010. Um, I, I can share with you now, and, and, and you could take it from me, it's absolutely true, that one of the pay rises that, that we, we were given was delayed. And it was delayed till about December, when it should have come in in September. Mm. And Jackie Smith was the whole secretary. And I always remember asking her officials to leave the room and, and, and the people I had with me. And, and uh, I told her in no uncertain terms that she'd made a, a huge error, not backdating the pay to September. So she effectively cut a pay rise out for three months, which she'd been advised, advised to do by her officials. But generally, I, f I found that, that she, she, was, we, she was quite user-friendly. As the mm. uh, as the Home Secretary, mm. and and the police ministers who worked with at that time were were very good. Mm. Yeah. So um, I mean, there was a there was a very very marked change of um, atmosphere, I think, and sort of position towards policing, and that's sort of well documented now, isn't it? Um, in terms of the the Conservative government coming in, um, what. What is your thought? What what are your thoughts around why there was this very um, what I feel was a um, over the top kind of attack on policing with the new government under David Cameron? What are your thoughts around that? <coughs> People need to remember that David Cameron, as a young man, was actually attached to the Home Office and and he always had an interest in, in policing. And David Cameron was the man who was behind the introduction of, of what he liked to call the American model of police and crime commissioners, which came later, later on. But if we, and this isn't the 
We Hate Theresa May show today. Mm-hmm. But if we look at some of the things that, that I can share with you now speak, that I've finished. Speak for yourself, Ian. But yes, yes. Well, <laughs> when, when you hear what I've got to say, uh, you might say you read my book again. Um, <laughs> it, it was quite strange. I finished uh, third week of March in 2010. And I went to work for the Police Mutual Assurance Society. And there was a dinner sponsored by Police Mutual, the Soup Tent Association dinner in Windsor in the June. And I was invited and uh, sat with Theresa May. And I, the conversation wasn't terribly good on the table. So I said at one stage, without being mischievous, uh, a lot of commentators were surprised to see you appointed Home Secretary because you've got no real history with, with the police or no real involvement. And she said, yeah, I'm aware of that. She said, um, I, don't, I know nothing about policing. Hmm. And that proved to be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because she set out on a path then to, to destroy and distract the police service. That's my view. Hmm. And, and I've got it depends how long we've got this morning, but I've got lots and lots of examples yeah, yeah. Where, I, where I could show you mm. uh, or share with you the tactics mm. used by her and her officials. And it was like an all-out assault from day yeah. one. I think the thing I'm struggling with, Ian, and I, I certainly, you know, for those of us who are in the service and watching this happening in real time and feeling the impact of it operationally and in terms of resources and everything... What I don't get here is why, what they thought they had to gain from all of that. Because if you look at the service now, and we'll come on to talk about that in a bit in terms of where the policing currently is, but I'm just, I just don't understand what, what they thought they, they or anyone for that matter had to gain from any of that. Well, c- can I tell you that Theresa May and her officials thought that a lot of the police, particularly the senior uh, officers uh, were a bit thick mm. and then and, and she showed that by some of the tactics which we'll come on to in a minute mm-hmm. and some of the policies they introduced but if we just pause for one minute yep. everyone knew during my time and your time what ACPO was for Association of Chief Police Officers she was instrumental in changing that because she didn't like ACPO and what it stood for, into the Chiefs Council, National Chiefs Council. At the same time that she was taking ACPO away and hopefully taking some of what she perceived to be its strength, she then appointed for the first time ever a non-police person into the chair of Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Constabulary. Mm. One of the worst days for policing that I can ever remember. Yeah, yeah. And just stay on that subject for a minute. I was at in Cardiff for the National Police Memorial Day uh, about 18 months, two years later, when Tom Windsor had the audacity to wear a police uniform at the National Police Memorial Day. That was disgusting, as far as I'm concerned. Can I tell you that I met him on quite a few occasions Mm. as the Police and Crime Commissioner, and he had the same 
dislike for the place that Theresa May did. Yeah, yeah. I, I really struggle with it, Ian, I really do. And, you know, for those of us who, the vast majority, as you know, the vast majority of people who join the police join because they wanted to help the public, because they want to keep people safe, because they want to take on the baddies, because they've got a strong, innate sense of natural justice. I think those are all the reasons most people join the police. So to see the thing that you really love um, so utterly um, destroyed in what felt like a very short space of time was bewildering and I had a really nice email the other day from somebody who had just read my book saying oh my god thank god someone's saying this and you know everything you're saying is completely resonates with my experience of the last 30 years etc but I th but the word that this um chap used in his email to me was bewildered he said I feel bewildered by why this has been done to policing so do you think it's just it was just done almost out of malice. Yes, I do. Uh, I really do. And and it may sound strange on here, and I don't, I don't know where you're going to go with this podcast later on, mm. but certain things happened around that time, and, and obviously I, 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 I dare not give you the names. Yeah, yeah. Take, take it from me, it's absolutely true. Mm. Uh, about that time, Theresa May made an announcement, and we were all wondering where she was going to say that in future, the medals, the, the Queen's Police Medal, the Knighthoods, et cetera, et cetera, would be more equally shared amongst the rank and file. Mm. And it was odd. There were a couple of chiefs who were about ready to retire. One in particular I knew very, very well, and he had served in a large force as chief constable for seven years. Mm -hmm. And the normal circumstances, that would have been a knighthood, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, suspe I, suspect, I suspect I know who you're talking about, but, you know, we'll probably, you know, keep that. Yeah. I bet you that's Chris Sims. Are you talking about Chris Sims? No. Uh, <laughs> I was guessing, because Chris Sims was obviously my old chief. No, I, I, thought it, I, I thought it was an act, of, an act of spite that he was never given a knighthood. Now, well, I can tell you that there were three or four, uh, and, and I'm happy to give you a clue. It's right. not too far away from you. Right, and, okay. uh, and the normal circumstances, they would have had knighthoods. So right. when you put that in, taking away ACPO, or, or trying to take the strength out of ACPO, taking a police officer out of Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Constabulary role, and Tom Windsor, I'm afraid, I had, I had dealings with him, is totally and utterly incompetent in that role. Mm. Uh, and, and it was ironic for me that not long after he went in there, she knighted him. Um, if you look at one of the other things she did, this, this sends you a very strong message. Why do we need direct entry superintendents? Yeah, well... It just doesn't make sense. In the same way, is in the same way that it doesn't make any sense to have direct entry detectives, you know, who've never actually served, done a day's frontline policing. It just doesn't make any sense at all, to my mind. No, no it isn't. But the reason we, when we're slightly changing the subject, the reason we've had that, that direct entry detectives have come in now, and my understanding is that 
they are not warranted officers. Hmm. And well, they're I, coming in because no know. one, no one hmm. wants to go in the CID now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's 7,000 detective vacancies, aren't there, across the UK, aren't there? Yeah. But if you go back to the, to the direct entry superintendents, at that time, I was chair of the workforce group hmm. for the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners. So there were about eight of us on the group, and our job was to look at pay, regulations, policy related to terms and conditions, et cetera. And when this direct entry superintendent policy came up, everyone in the room, privately, that's conservatives, labor, and independents, all had real doubts about it. But when it came uh, for the presentation, the Tory PCCs in the room were silent. They just didn't say anything. Mm. And mm. I said to one of the Tory PCCs, who was a nice enough guy, um, what do you really think that? He said, my son's in the Air Force. And, and he's thinking about having to go. I said, but answer me this. If you look at some of the smaller forces, where they may have 15, 20 superintendent ranks, they've got to go on call. They've mm. got to be able to go out and deal with murders or missing kids or mm. tragic road accidents or major incidents or custody unit. Mm. How's your boy going to do that? Well, he's got mm. no experience. He said, uh, what, what you don't understand, Ian? He said, the special entry superintendents won't have to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, right. Good luck with that. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, of course, after that, we got direct entry inspectors as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and so one question, one question you 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 do in the work that you are now. One question yeah. you might want to put to someone: the direct entry superintendents, none of them went to a Labour PCC police force. Interesting. They went to the MEC, and they went to Conservative PCC police forces. The vast majority realised that they'd made a mistake hmm. and have since resigned. Hmm. How many, out of interest, how many direct entry superintendents have we got left? I've got no idea, but I, I mean, I know the attrition rate was pretty high, um, but the figures that I was looking at were quite old. So do you know the answer to that question? I have, I'm not a clue, but I know, I know that... Um, from speaking to, to former colleagues, mm. that we're down into single figures. Yeah. I mean, and, the, anecdotally, what I hear is that the um, the inspectors tend to um, stay um, a bit longer because they, you know, the pressure of, a, of an inspector is, you know, is, is, is nothing compared to a superintendent. And having, I mean, I finished up as a, as a supt in West Midlands and, you know, the, the range of things that you have to deal with as a superintendent is significant as you know mm. um particularly when it comes to the more serious end of business and you know i i've no idea how on earth you can expect someone to come in from the commercial world or from even the armed forces for that matter without that exit it's about putting me in charge it's like sending me to a guards regiment who's just about to go, go off to conflict in afghanistan uh, and say there you go you can go and be a colonel now you know yeah, absolutely and 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 but but it goes back to what I said to you earlier. Theresa May always came over that she had little regard for senior uh, police officers, and she really did think that that uh, you know they hadn't gone to proper schooling mm. and that they were from the wrong part of society. 
Mm. And and there was that that certain snobbery with it. Mm. And and but some of the tactics she used, and I, there's one I, I quickly want to share. Yeah, with yeah, you. please do. I um because of my previous role, when 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 I became the PCC, PCCs had their day job back in the force, but they were expected to go on various committees as well mm. with national responsibility. And as part of the workforce committee I referred to earlier. Uh, I was the uh, official side chair for the police negotiating board, mm-hmm. which was, uh, and I say it, I thought it independently chaired, mm. and it was really, really good, and it was productive, and they produced the recommendations for the Home Office. Mm. What happened to it? She got rid of it, disbanded it, mm. and brought in the uh, pay review body. And the pay review body is 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 sits there, and it's mm. full of conservative supporters. Mm. Mm. Uh, and as the as the workforce uh, PCC, APCC uh, representative, I used to go and give evidence there, and it was a complete nut waste of time. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at it now, enough has been said about Theresa May and the Federation, mm. but the Federation and the Superintendent Association have both now pulled out mm. of the pay review body committee because they think it's an absolute waste of time and go in there. Yeah, well, it's. It, I mean, what does that say, really? I mean, um, clearly relationships have just become so toxic, haven't they? Um, but I do think it's. I do think that it's a wider issue than than just pay. Obviously, I think the the it feels to me that we went from a situation where the Home Office were so during the Blair years, the Home Office were so intrusive into every sort of dot and comma of policing and all of the performance measurements and all of this stuff, you know, um, to, to during the last sort of 10 years, almost being asleep at the wheel. We've gone from, we've gone from sort of almost having, you know, one extreme of, of, uh, you know, wanting to control every, every single thing that goes on in policing to having almost no interest in policing whatsoever. And I'm, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, really. Yeah, it, it is in many ways, but th- I don't know what happened with Theresa May in her personal life or with anything else, but that period from, from, from 2010 up to, what, 2015, 2016, um, it, it was almost like, a determination to destroy the police, mm. and mm. and um, we we've got we had a couple of other things going on, and and there's no doubt that she had a part to play in the appointment of two very senior positions that were filled by females, mm. and and she she did have a problem with with senior male police officers. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's a really interesting one because if you look at the level of accountability that police officers have today and have had for a very long time, so you look at what happens to a police officer. You look at the Hillsborough inquiry, for example. Um, I'm not going to give an opinion on what I think about that, but I'm just talking about accountability for a minute. Um, you look at um, what happens when a firearms officer shoots someone. You look at what happens when there's a child death um, in a safeguarding issue um, and, you know, there's a massive hoo-ha and public inquiries and goodness knows what else. And yet, 
At the same time, you've got a political party and certain individuals in particular, i.e. David Cameron and Theresa May, who by any definition have destroyed policing in the UK. And there seems to be absolutely no accountability there whatsoever. So we've had a gun and knife crime epidemic. We've had the disaster of county lines. We've had neighbourhood policing effectively destroyed across England and Wales. And yet... The, those individuals, and I think, you know, and, and I don't I don't care what people think, quite honestly, I think there is there's an argument you could almost make there for misconduct in a public office, because mm-hmm. the the impact of so much of that has been so catastrophic. And if you look at the wording of that offence, misconduct in public office, it's being one of the parts of the wording of that offence is being reckless as to the impact of your actions. And I think the level of recklessness um, displayed by this government, sort of former iterations of this government, are bordering on criminal. Yeah, well, it does does make you wonder when people of you know of our service and age, when you look back and you think that that's how things were when we were working properly. And we went through a period where I used to look at the TV sometimes, and 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 I'd see uh, a report on a major incident. And the officer who was put to camera to uh, face questions from the media, uh, it became quite apparent that he wasn't in a position to answer the questions because he didn't have the necessary background and experience. Mm. And, And without naming the particular case, but there was one case where we went through a period of, if you're in the professional standards department, you should be called a detective. Mm. Uh, so that happened. And of course, then somebody said, well, if you were a detective, you've gone on the on-call rotor <laughs> for the CID. Yeah. And he was on call the night that we had a particularly bad case yeah. uh, somewhere in England. And it was apparent that he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He didn't have the experience to do it. Yeah. Well, and then after, to, after about 36 hours, mm. uh, the head of CID jumped in and took took the case on. That's that's twenty years ago now. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. you you can tell. But yeah. going back to your point, I, I I still think there's an element of the police kicking back and saying, "Well, hold on a minute." And then uh, the Conservative government and Theresa May in particular saying, "You're not you're not going to beat me," and then she kept a foot on the pedal with it and and. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I was really pleased that I went out in 2010 mm, yeah. because uh, it would have been great fun if I'd had to work with her. <laughs> I mean, um, it's really, I often wonder, Ian, if in, even in her, you know, she's never going to admit it publicly, is she? Um, because that's just not the nature of the beast, is it? But um, I often wonder in her quiet moments on her own, reflecting and seeing the complete car crash that that policing has experienced, does she ever reflect and think, oh, God, I really got this, really, really got this wrong? Or do you not think these people even have it in them to think like that? No, I don't think she ever will. Uh, again, uh, take it from me, I don't make things up, but I can tell you that I was approached some time ago by a Home Office official who I'd known for some time, asking if I would be interested in having a beer, not a coffee, a beer, Hmm. with the then police minister. Mm -hmm. And we met, 
and I was surprised he had no officials with him. It was just him and I. Yeah. And, and we were talking. And for four weeks, he'd been banned from attending meetings that he should have been at as police minister because he'd fallen out with Home Secretary. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and so I don't, to, to go back to the original question, hmm. no, I can't see any reverse gear being engaged. No, no. So moving on to um, police and crime, Kashmir, in terms of you and your career, um, that's a really interesting one for me because um, putting, putting aside whether you think police and crime commissioners are either good, bad or indifferent, what, what's really interesting to me is the fact that you left policing in 2010 as a chief superintendent and then within two years you are back at your old force as a police and crime commissioner. What was that like? That must have been a very strange feeling. Well, can I tell you that, that I've, I've never hidden it, that I was on record when David Cameron first put up the concept of police and crime commissioners mm. as saying that, that it's political and we shouldn't really go there. It was quite good fun because uh, where I live down here, we've got eight uh, MPs in, in, in the force area, seven Labour and one Conservative. And the guy, one of the guys who I used to work with as the police minister actually rang me and said, why don't you stand for Labour? in Gwent, because you're nailed on, because the vast majority vote Labour. Mm-hmm. And and I told him that uh, he, it was very kind of him to ring me, but there's no way that I would ever represent a political party as PCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't standing anyway. And then a number of my friends persuaded me to stand. And uh, against all the odds, in fact, a few of my friends liked to have a little bet, uh, and they couldn't get any odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bookies wouldn't give it to them <laughs> for for me winning. Right. So, it, and that's as was, an ind- that was as, as an independent. Absolutely. And, and my motto was on my campaign: keep politics out of policing. Right. What was quite interesting was that uh, we got twelve independents, which people weren't expecting. Right. Uh, it in twenty twelve. But when I got to know those 12 independents, uh, eight of them had, had previously sought to secure the Conservative PCC position, and they'd been knocked back. So then they stood as independents. But right. really, really and truly, they were actually Conservative supporters. Right. And just so, out of curiosity, had you been a card-carrying member of the Labour Party at any point? No, no. never. Right. Any party. No. Right. And uh, I could tell you now that some of the council, particularly where I live here, within the Caffilly County Borough Council area, uh, they did not enjoy the day when I beat their Labour candidate. (laughs) And I went to quite a few functions then, social functions, Mm. um, with the mayor, Lord Lieutenant, High Sheriff, that sort of thing. And, And whenever I went and they welcomed the VIPs, uh, they left me out. Really? Yeah. Oh, so awesome. they were, yeah, they were really sore about it. But but there were some there were some good people on yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So what does it feel like, you know, walking back into your force? Presumably, you were were you based at the headquarters, the same building that you would have been based at previously when you were serving? Yes. 
So what yeah. what, did that, what did that feel like? I mean, you, you must have known. I mean, it wasn't because it wasn't that long since you'd left. So you must have known no, a lot a lot of people. It was it was a bit strange. Um, I was actually on record as saying when when Cameron was having a go uh, about the police authorities were ineffective, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I was on record as saying that I have a very good relationship with the police authority in Gwent. I know a lot of them personally, and they were very good. Mm. And and uh, I thought some of the things that were said about police authorities were not justified. But I, I don't know whether you're aware, I had a, I had a very interesting comeback as the, uh, as the BCC, uh, and uh, the then Chief Constable, after we had uh, more than a few words, decided it... <laughs> decided in May 2013 uh, to retire. Right. So just, pause, look, so just pause you there. Was it the same chief constable had been there when you had left as a serving officer? Uh, no. It was a new no. one. Right. Okay. It, was, it was a new one. Right. But um, oh, that, that got some media attention for some time. Right. And coincidentally, uh, Tom Windsor tried to get himself involved Mm. and made uh, a public statement, uh, and I took him to task over it, mm. and that public statement was totally 100% wrong. Mm. And uh, so I just gave him a reminder. Yeah. Did you ever get an apology? No. <laughs> a silly question. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing, is, the thing is, Ian, as we all know, we're living in a post-truth society now, aren't we? So you can more or less pretty much say whatever you like now without any kind of comeback, can't you? Yeah, cer of course you cer can. Certain people can anyway. Boris Johnson being the, ar the, ar no. the, the arch, you know, exponent of that particular tactic. Absolutely. But, but what, what uh, Tom Windsor didn't think about was that as part of my job, as I referred earlier to the Workforce Committee on the Association of Police and Crime Commissioners, I was personally given the job of reviewing Section 38 of the Police and Crime Act, which is used when a PCC wants to make a chief constable resign. Mm -hmm. And there are strict procedures to be followed. Mm -hmm. But those procedures didn't kick in mm -hmm. because the chief constable decided that she was going to retire. Right. Uh, and Tom Windsor got it completely wrong. And, and I did remind him when we when he came to speak to us as a group of uh, association of police and crime commissioners. Right. So um, in terms of without wanting to resurrect all of this sort of those issues, because obviously I'm sure it's there's a lot of stuff there. But was was the basic was the basic fallout over um, the sort of strategic direction of the force or was it more of a sort of a personality clash, so to speak? I'd never. Other than, other than one um, social event, which was uh, police and the National Police Memorial Day again, that was the only time I'd ever met that chief constable. So, right. uh, no. But if you, and I don't want to go into the detail of it, no, but if, no, you, if, you, um, if you consider, if you, if you go into a new job, and the person that you've got to work closely with uh, totally disagrees with 
the post that's the new post that's been created mm. and wasn't shy in in, uh, in letting people know that she disagreed then it was never going to work yeah 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 i mean that's an interesting point isn't it because um you know in my book i talked about how i i described the creation of pccs as another quote another unwelcome gift from david cameron but i suppose the reality is that um once that um post has been created then you've got to just make it work haven't you um it it is what it is and uh you can either just sort of turn your back on it or you can do your best to support it can you yeah and and um you know, I don't want to put a particular wealth perspective on it, but it was it was quite difficult here because uh, after the election of the police and crime commissioners, we had a situation where the Labour Party didn't accept the position of police and crime commissioners. Hmm. And here in Wales, the Welsh government, they didn't accept it either. So I, I, I had the embarrassing position sometimes where the chief constable was going to meetings in Cardiff with the Welsh government and the PCCs weren't invited. Mm. And, we, and we were talking about the budget and financing for, for the force. Yeah. So it, was, it, it wasn't comfortable the first uh, eight, 12, 18 months, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just to talk a little bit about the sort of landscape of policing i suppose so rather than just the narrow issues around gwent or your particular role um one of the issues i've got around policing nationally is the fact that we've got this landscape of 43 forces in england and wales with all of the duplication and the uh, financial burden of managing having all these different command teams and hr departments and finance teams and all that where, where are you on all of that stuff the 43 force model we've traveled the journey haven't we about regionalization uh you know under the the, the labor government and and i think we went from one extreme to the other we're talking one day about regionalization and force amalgamations and then, not long after, we are talking about taking the power away from headquarters and giving it to what were then called basic command units and giving them more power. Mm. So it, it, it was on and off. And, and I think with the regionalisation, some of the smaller forces would not benefit going in with their bigger neighbours. Mm. Uh, so it, it's a difficult one. And I think there's also a real danger then of, of losing the localism that mm. we talked about earlier, linked to neighbourhood policing. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. think if they broke, mm. leave it alone. Yeah. So I just wonder, you know, my own thoughts are on that one, is that you could maintain that localised colour and flavour of policing uh, and to sort of ring-fence those resources to ensure they don't get sucked away into, you know... The, so the Cheshires of this world, they don't get sucked into Liverpool and Manchester or whatever, mm. um, or for that matter, the Warwickshires and West Mercies don't get sucked into Birmingham. Um, but y- y- there's got to be a strong argument for brigading some of those back office functions, or hasn't there? There must be. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there is, but I think you'd have to tread carefully uh, to make sure that that, that we 
we don't lose completely the localism and the identification of local problems by local police. Mm. Uh, I because I think I think we're partly on that journey now, mm. where uh, and this this sounds terrible, but I live in a small community and people still come knocking my door or see me out in the village and and are complaining about police response. Mm. And and a lot of the time it's it appears that. The, the police are looking for ways of dealing with things yeah. without taking direct action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that I find really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you've had a chance to, to look at the strategic review of policing that was published last week. Um, it's a big document, it's 196 pages or something, isn't it? And um, But I've been following that. I've been following the Police Foundation's work quite closely over the last couple of years and you know and I, I do think they've I do think they've broadly done a very good job in terms of describing some of the challenges around policing I suppose the the elephant in the room for me is the fact that you know it was a it was a uh, it, it was a it was a, it's a it's a document it's a piece of work that was was never mandated by anyone um, and, and from that point of view um, whilst it may be interesting in inverted commas, um, for those in power to to have a look at, there's no kind of guarantee that any of it is ever going to be turned into reality. So, and one of the key things they talk about in that is, uh, and we all know this from having been in the job, is the way that gradually, gradually, gradually over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, the police service has been drawn into all sorts of areas of life um, that it, probably arguably doesn't uh, or shouldn't you know be the sort of lead agency for and I'm thinking in particular around issues around mental health etc um do you do you think policing has lost its way in terms of its core mission there, there is an argument that that we're expected to, to look at a much broader range nowadays than than, than we had years ago um but certain things do need to be coordinated better. And, and you know, the mental health, when you mentioned, is, is good. Ooh, I don't know who's, who's running the Police Foundation nowadays, because I used to have quite a bit to do with them well, Rick, Rick years ago. I think Rick Muir was leading that piece of work, and then mm. Sir Michael Barber was the sort of, I suppose, the, the um, figurehead for it, so to speak. All oh, right. Uh, but but I, I, know, I know where they're getting at. But at the same time, I think there's a counter-argument that, that we were actually in need of formalising and tying up our links with other people. Mm. And, and uh, But, yeah, I, th- I, I, I think the police are expected to do more now mm. with different subjects than it, than it was years ago. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do think, and I go back to it, that we maybe need to shift the focus mm. back onto practical mm. everyday policing matters that yeah. matter to the community. Yeah. Do you think do you think there's a do you think there's value in potentially um if you get a, a magic wand, I mean, is there would there be value in having something akin to a Royal Commission on Policing to try and kind of reset things, so to speak? Well, the Police Federation have been pleading for the Royal Commission for some time and never never materialized and uh, without getting too political i can't see that happening whilst we've got the current conservative government 
Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I think we're, we're going to have to limp along, I'm afraid, and the looking, looking at the cost of the COVID pandemic to the taxpayer, um, money is going to be um, in very short supply, unfortunately. Mm. Just so just to, the change of direction. So when you left um, everything, so policing, you, you set up, you set yourself up as a similar to me, I suppose, a consultant into, um, you know, the uh, looking at your CV, some of the sort of technology kind of side of things, sort of as a presumably an independent or strategic advisor. Um, how, how, how did you find that? Well, can I tell you that some of my friends were highly amused when they saw that I was being involved with IT, major IT pro, uh, projects, uh, and they still laugh to this day. But it, it was strange how it happened. When, when I announced that, that I was finishing, I had a few companies, in fact, about 10, contact me to say, we'd like you to come and work with us. Mm-hmm. And, and my answer, because you know now I've got a sense of humour, was mm-hmm. I don't think I'll be bringing much to the company, to be honest, if you're IT-based, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want you for that. We, we've got people who can do that. What we want you for, given your career in the last 10, 15 years, is, is all the contacts you've got around mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. and being able to pick the phone up and open the door and mm-hmm. we've got a meeting at 3 o'clock next Monday. So that's the sort sort of stuff that I was doing. And um, I worked with an American company, a company from Cambridge, the Police Mutual I referred to earlier, Mm -hmm. and and it was very lucrative, I must say, having having gone into the private sector. Yeah. And then, uh, as I say, come the June of 2012, I was persuaded to pack that in and stand as a BCC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are you doing now then? What are your what are your kind of well, well, the one uh, thing that wasn't on busy? my CV because it because it wasn't up to date. Uh, in March 2016, I had a phone call when I was on the train from the chief executive officer of Crime Stoppers, right? Who asked me, uh, Mark Hallis, if I would be he'd hear that I was finishing and would I be available for a meeting? And I said, Well, I'm on, I'm on my way up to London now. Uh, Right, we'll meet tonight. Uh, I want you to go onto the Wales Crime Stoppers Committee and tidy it up. It isn't functioning very well. Mm. Well, I went the first meeting, I was the chairman. <laughs> so I did five years uh, unpaid right. from 2016 to 2021. Right. And I also sat on the advisory board for the UK. Mm. But I, mm. I've given that up now, so I'm, I'm actually... Fully retired. Oh yeah, gosh, yeah. I, I, that must be a very strange feeling for someone who's been mm. so unbelievably um, active across so many different spheres of public life. I mean, do, do you do you miss do you miss policing? Yeah, you miss the company and the meetings and and, and the travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, mm. But I, I am getting a bit older now, and and I am slowing down. Believe it mm. or not, mm-hmm. and and. I'm actually getting used to not doing a lot. Right. Um, I have a joke with some of my former colleagues where I can have a rest in the afternoon now. And I say to them, well, I'm going to have an attachment to the traffic department, have a sleep. <laughs> it doesn't go down well with everyone, but uh, it does with the CID uh, guides. Yeah, bless you. Oh, mate. Listen, Ian, um, 
this has been really fascinating. It's been really interesting. And, you know, and, you know, you've, you've really, um, I really take my hat off to you. You've, you've had an, an amazing career. You've been a fantastic public servant. Um, you've been a great advocate for policing and, um, you know, and I commend you for that. And I thank you for not only for coming on the podcast, but for everything you've done for policing and, um, yeah, let's just, I think we're just going to have to keep our fingers crossed that things improve a little bit, maybe. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to see it improving. And and send the book down, because I'm having trouble sleeping at the minute. <laughs> well, I'll, um, well, we can, we can, uh, we'll have a, I'll, I'll send you an email. You can send me an email once we finish um, with your address and I'll, I'll post a copy to you. Um, right. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of, la- there's, a lot, there's some serious stuff in there, but there's a lot of laughs in there as well. So, uh, all right. If, so, yeah. if you, I'll send you the address, and if if you can pronounce it, I'll send you a tenner. <laughs> no, no, don't send me a tenner. God's sake. Yeah. No, well, when, when you when you see the address, you'll see what you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Th- thanks, thanks, you know, thanks. I totally enjoyed it. Oh, good, good man. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll send you a link. I'll um, ping you a link. I'll let you know when it's going to be coming. It'll be later on this week sometime. But um, okay. Bless you. It's been really. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of chatting to you. And uh, you know, thanks ever so much for giving up your time to talk no, to me. No problem. It's my pleasure, Ian. Nice to see you again, my friend. You take care. Cheers. See you now. Bye bye, Ian. Bye. Ta-da. So there you go. What a lovely bloke he is. And a real human being, a really good, warm, decent human being. And uh, yeah, a real inspiration and um, a great, great supporter of the British Police Service. So yeah, goodness only knows what, what people like Ian must make of what the hell has gone on in the last few years. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. I certainly enjoyed chatting to Ian. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing, um, not interviewing, it's not interview, it's a chat, isn't it? I'm going to be chatting to uh, the very wonderful John Sutherland, author and ex-police officer. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Right, speak to you soon. Bye.